Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome. This is Stephen Holder of The Athletic. I'm back. It's been a long time, but back with another episode of Horseshoes with Holder. And this time, boy, do we ever have a lot to talk about. It's after now. We are looking in the rearview mirror at the NFL Draft and your Indianapolis Colts. Uh, there's a lot going on because they've got 10 new players and some of these guys are pretty interesting. So I think it was definitely... High time for another episode, and the material is kind of coming out of my ears today, so good news for you. So let's dive right in. I really did think that the Colts had a good plan for this draft, and I really like what they came away with. I'm I'm feeling like there is additional reason for optimism about this team in 2019 after this draft, and I, I know that I've, I've gotten that sentiment from a lot of you. And it seems like a majority, an overwhelming majority of you are really big fans of this draft. I actually think that people had a really mature opinion about this draft and and how they viewed it. Because oftentimes when a team trades that number one pick, you know, fans don't take too kindly to that. I didn't get that from Colts fans for the most part. I think people understood it and they had kind of a maturity maturity about uh, their their viewpoint with that and and how they how they saw it and, and how they digested it and I thought that was a, a very uh, positive reflection of of the fan base because people are paying attention or at least the people who are paying attention they kind of understand the bigger picture and I was mildly surprised by that so uh, pat yourself on the back <laughs> I think I think you guys handled it pretty well so I was very happy to, to see that and observe that um, over the weekend as, uh, as the draft kind of played out. And, and obviously the Colts got what they were looking for by and large in the subsequent rounds. So, so I, I think a very successful draft all around. And th- to get into more detail, obviously, as I move forward, I'll talk about my favorite draft pick, maybe the one that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, I'm going to give you the guy I think has the highest ceiling. And then we'll dive into the depth chart. I did a piece that uh, posted this week on The Athletic uh, that kind of breaks down what the depth chart looks like currently. It's my projection of the depth chart. There won't, there won't be a depth chart until uh, probably the second week of training camp. So this is all we got for now. And you know you can 
take issue with some of my choices, I'm sure. But uh, we'll, we'll dive into that and I'll, I'll give you my takeaways. It was an interesting exercise. So I'll tell you what I struggled with maybe and, and what, my, what my observations were in putting together that, that depth chart. And then I also want to touch on something that I also hit on in one of my stories this week, which is I talked about them training back in the first round just a moment ago. Well, now at, in this podcast, later in this podcast, I'll, I'll get to explaining what this is in terms of a philosophical approach. There's a lot more to this than the Colts trading back from 26 because they saw some value. There's a lot more to this. So I'll, I'll fill you in on that. And, and some of this material comes from the highest levels of the organization, some sources that I talked to. So I think you'll learn a little bit there. So anyway, let's jump back into the draft picks themselves. And I want to start with the guy who, for me, is my favorite draft pick. And I, I think a lot of you will feel the same way. The guy for me is Paris Campbell. And I was blown away by this pick just because, number one, uh, they were able to get him later in the second round. And he, he seems like maybe he wasn't a first-round talent, but certainly from a production standpoint at Ohio State, to have a guy who's who's fairly well-rounded and can do a lot of things and then had just absolute stunning production, 90 catches, all right, at Ohio State uh, last season. I was, I'm not going to say I was surprised he was available, but I think that's pretty good value to get a guy where the Colts got him when you consider everything. I think obviously the big thing with Paris Campbell and maybe why there was uh, maybe not as much clamoring for him earlier was because, you know, people see him as a slot receiver, and it's probably what he is, so that's fine. But, hey, a slot receiver in Frank Reich's offense is maybe not the same as a slot receiver in other schemes. So that's why I think for the Colts, there's a lot of value in this pick, and he has a very high ceiling here. Now, let's tell you, let me tell you what I, what I think specifically about this. Now, Paris Campbell, for me, I think what, what he gives Frank Reich is he gives him a chess piece and make no mistake frank reich is playing chess okay you see him with his glasses on the sideline and he looks like a professor kind of dorky <laughs> well it kind of fits okay because he's a thinker and this is i'm quoting chris ballard here even he said you know frank is a thinker he's very philosophical and and everything he does whether it be how he deals with his players or how he draws up plays and calls plays and games. And I think when you give, when you give Frank Reich a chess piece like this, where he can now do many different things with the same player and maybe even with a standard lineup on the field. Well, now you have created problems for the defense. And I don't think this is any secret to anybody. I mean, I think if you've seen Paris Campbell play at all, you know, that he's a good fit for this team. But I think specifically with Frank Reich, uh, I just think this is going to open doors for him. And and the one thing that Frank Reich does such a good job of is using multiple lineups and multiple personnel groupings. And I've talked to him about this a lot. And, and one thing he always says is the most important thing for him is to be multiple, whether it be multiple personnel groups, uh, you know, all everything. He wants everything to be ever changing. And, and that's something that I think 
this is going to enable him to do. I mean, he's going to be able to trot various lineups out there. Okay, he can go three wide receiver, one tight end, two tight ends, two receivers, uh, and then even within those, even within those personnel groupings, he can use different players specifically, which is a whole other story. So, I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what Frank Wright cooks up because you know he will cook something up, and I think. Paris Campbell is going to be a big part of it. So that's the one thing. Then the other thing I'd say on Paris Campbell is I really love the fact that he hit this selection specifically. Tell you what it shows. It shows to me that the front office and the coaching staff, they're very much on the same page. The reason I say that is there is probably not a, a player they picked that's a better fit for what the Colts want to do on offense. I mean, I just talked to you about how this works and works to Frank Reich's strengths. Uh, they're starting to now understand what these coaches are seeking and what they're trying to accomplish. You know, a year ago, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard had only met each other uh, two months before the draft. So, you know, let's be honest. I mean, how, how much could their have been in terms of continuity of understanding and and knowing the breadth of all of what these coaches were trying to accomplish on offense and defense with uh, Matt Eberflus on defense as well. There was bound, I think, to be a a disconnect there, and they did pretty well in spite of it. All right, <laughs> they got two All Pros out of the deal, but that being said, I do think it, it took a lot more effort to get on the same page and to truly understand what they were trying to accomplish. Now, this year, those obstacles have been completely removed. And I think now you have, you have uh, there, as Chris Ballard said, he said, they're all singing from the same hymnal. Or excuse me, that was Jim Mersey who said that. You know, Chris Ballard, the GM, Frank Reich, the coach, they understand each other. They're finishing each other's sentences. It's like they're married. And really, they are married in a football sense because they have to work together for the common good. If one succeeds, they both succeed. And that's how it works. So, uh, but, but as it relates to the schemes and understanding the fit for these, these college prospects, I really think this draft demonstrated further that that is happening at a very quick pace. And that is a positive thing for this team, especially coming off the draft they had last year. It's a great sign. So let's move on. Uh, now, the pick that I don't want to say I don't like this pick. I'm actually very intrigued by this pick. But it's it's the pick that's, that's slightly questionable, I would say, is Marvell Tell. And here's what I'd say. Uh, look, he, he seems like a good athlete. And he seems like he can be an impact player. Uh, the only question I have is, look, they're asking him to make a transition from safety to corner. And that is, look, he won't be the first player to do this. But but certainly, uh, it's going to be difficult, at least initially, uh, because it's going to be a completely different approach uh, to what he has done at USC. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see corners project to safety. And... I sometimes think that's an easier transition because you go from being so so uh, intensely focused on 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 one particular job to now being able to see the whole field, and I think sometimes that takes a little bit of pressure off of 
the corners. I think they're they're very instinctive players just from playing corner. So I think the transition to safety sometimes is easier. Uh, I say that as someone who's never done it. So what do I know? But that's my observation. Now, in this particular instance, he's going the other way. He's going from safety to corner. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking TJ Green all over again. Well, the good news is this is not a TJ Green situation because, first of all, TJ's problem wasn't that he wasn't a good athlete and, and didn't have the ability to make these, this change. TJ's problem was TJ didn't have instincts. And that, more than anything, I think is what held him back. Had he had instincts, had he developed instincts even, I think he would have had more success or could have had more success. But as it stands, uh, generally speaking, you kind of have to be born with that, right? It's not something you can coach for the most part. So I think the Colts hoped that over time, you know, he would be a smart enough football player to to understand and, and be uh, be able to know what to expect and that kind of thing. But I just don't ever think his instincts were really up to snuff. And that, to me, is what held T.J. Green back. He's now out of the league. So this is different. And I just think you have a more instinctive player here. He has played in the box, okay, which is not something TJ Green did. He was mostly a high safety, so he didn't have a diversity of roles as a safety. That's the difference here. Uh, Marvell Tell has had a diversity of roles in that defense, and so as a result of that, he has come down and played on the slot and, and played man coverage down there and done things of that nature. So there's a more complete body of work to look at with Marvell Tell than there was with TJ Green. Uh, that being said, as I noted, this is going to be a difficult transition for him. But the good news is, I think the Colts are in decent shape at corner right now. I, I like what they've got. They've got Pierre Desir, Kenny Moore, certainly Quincy Wilson, and then Rocky Asin now who completely... Uh, I think shakes up the position and makes it much more competitive. So that group right there, that's those are your core corners right there. Marvell Tell is probably going to be a special teams guy if he makes the roster. So that's the good news. They're not counting on him right away. Now, if they suffer injuries, then that changes the game. And we'll have to see whether he ever comes into play. But I think he's going to be able to have time, be able to comfortably learn the position, understand it, and, and they've got really good coaches when it comes to teaching. And that is another good sign that I think you'll, you'll see this year. Uh, these guys that have to make transitions or have to learn different positions or, or whatever the case might be, they have a coaching staff very equipped, very well equipped to teach them and to shepherd them through that process. And that's a positive thing for sure. So the guy who I kind of think might have the highest ceiling I'll tell you who that is. That's, to me, uh, without having seen these guys take one single solitary snap, that guy for me is Bobby Oriki. And Okiriki, excuse me. I'm going to learn to pronounce his name at some point. <laughs> Forgive me. The point is, here's why I say that. I think, for me, he's more or less a, an athlete. That's kind of how this pick is defined. He's an athletic guy. He can do a lot of things, but but certainly what defines him is his athleticism. And so here's the point. For me, the athletes, especially at linebacker, in this particular scheme, that puts them on a path to success. When they can come in here and have that sort of athleticism, look, look no further 
than Darius Leonard. All right. What he did last year, he did it because he is an absolute, very, very intelligent football player, first of all. He is just supremely talented. But as much as anything, he was able to do it because he is an incredible athlete. He could not play the way he plays in this defense without his athletic traits. Now, they're saying this guy has has that kind of that level of of athleticism. And if he does, I mean, that's really, really intriguing. I'm not saying he takes anybody's job day one, but but man, this is going to be really interesting to me. And I think he's got an opportunity to at some point, you know, be a factor at middle linebacker. I mean, I'm not telling you on day one. I'm just telling you that at some point, I think he comes into play potentially. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, I mean, for when you compare him to to Anthony Walker, his athleticism is probably going to be where he has the one edge over Anthony Walker. Now, Anthony Walker is a very intelligent football player, and I don't think there's any doubt about his ability to, to play that spot. But Look, they're all about competition, and Bobby, Oriki, Bobby Okirigi is, is competition. All right, There's no question about that, in my opinion. I really believe that. First of all, I mean, the investment they made in him, obviously, and where they picked him tells you how they feel about him. Uh, certainly, uh, Anthony Walker, I believe, was a fifth-round pick. So there's much more investment in Okirigi. But again, the edge that he is going to have over Walker, at least for right now, the one edge he has is his athleticism, and that is something that in this particular defense, it can take you a long way. So he's a guy to watch. I'm very excited to watch him as training camp comes along because I think they're going to be able to turn him loose. And, and look, he is a supremely intelligent guy from everything that we've heard, from every report I've seen, and that's going to enable him to to step in there and play with confidence right away. And so you got a confident, athletic guy, that's a guy who can make an impact right away. You're going to see splash from that guy a lot of times. Guys like that, you're going to be able to see splash right away because the one thing that in it, it's it's Darius Leonard all over again. Not necessarily saying he's as good as Darius Leonard, but I'm saying uh, in terms of his ability to to play to his strengths and to his full ability right away. Darius Leonard was able to do that because he's damn smart. Okay, and we think Darius Leonard's just this fast guy. I know Darius Leonard is absolutely positively one of the most intelligent football players on the roster and so that made him even more effective right away well the Colts have another guy with some of those traits the exact same traits athleticism and intelligence and that's a guy who can go out there and put it all on the line right away because he's not going to play timid and I gotta tell you you gotta love that and it's going to be really really exciting to see that linebacker uh, room really has gotten much faster and much more athletic in this draft. I mean, it, listen, they got off to a great start last year with Leonard, but now adding Okiriki and EJ Speed and, and players like that, I, I think they have really, really uh, given themselves, uh, I think, the ability to potentially, in the long term, transform that linebacker core. It's going to be very, very interesting and very, very competitive. So let's pause here for a break from our sponsor or a word from our sponsor. I'll be right back on the other side. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor in chief of The Verge and host of Decoder 
business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, and we're back. So I've been talking to you throughout the first half of this podcast about specific players, why I like them, why they might succeed, maybe a couple flaws here and there. Uh, Now, let's take a step back, take a bird's eye view, and look at this thing from an overall standpoint. I did a story this week for The Athletic. Uh, We did this for all 32 teams, all of my colleagues in the company. We went through and did a projected depth chart for every single team. So obviously, I did the Colts, and it was very interesting. It was a very educational exercise. There were uh, some difficult choices that I maybe didn't anticipate and some, some things that I had to look at a little closer than maybe I expected. So it was very, I think, beneficial to do this, and it gave me a good sense of what they're working with right now. So let me tell you a couple of things. I would say one big takeaway for me, and this won't shock you, one takeaway was man, the competition at wide receiver is going to be intense. And I know I've heard from a lot of people, some of you I'm sure, I've heard from a lot of readers and and just fans generally who were not really sold on the, the competition or the depth at wide receiver going into this draft. Now, the Paris Campbell choice, I think, changes the complexion uh, significantly, right? That's a huge addition right there. But I I still feel like going into this draft, everything that I've gotten from the Colts and the opinions and the sort of uh, attitudes that I've heard from the team was that they like their receivers. And we may disagree, and I could take issue with that, but they felt like there was significant competition there, even going into this draft. And so I'll tell you why they feel that way felt that way and why it's not necessarily crazy listen obviously Devin Funches is a big part of this and 
he gave them a, a bona fide number two option. Even if they didn't draft anyone, they had a guy who they could say, all right, well, that's our number two guy to pair with T.Y. Hilton. So that's a huge lift off your shoulders because I think last year we didn't know from week to week who the number two receiver was. And so that became an issue and obviously led to the signing of Dontrell Inman and all that. So at least they solved they solve that problem. You may not love Devin Funches. I mean, I don't love Devin Funches, but he certainly is adequate enough to fulfill that role. So just look at it in context. What are they asking him to do? Can he do that? Yes, he can do that. Okay, so check that box. Then I think one thing the Colts would tell you is that they have all these guys who they like, but don't really know a lot about. And so 2019 is going to be to to a great degree about finding out about Deion Kane and finding out about Reese Fountain and even the likes of Marcus Johnson, who who Frank Reich is a big fan of and and has insisted on keeping because he had him in Philadelphia and he thinks there's something there. Is you know two of those guys spent the year on injured reserve last year for the most part. Uh, Deion Kane spent the entire year on injured reserve. Marcus Johnson played I believe four games before getting hurt and really didn't see much action until about two about uh, week three I believe so you know you're talking about some young 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 guys you know collective experience between those guys you're talking about maybe a year and a half of football (laughs) actually playing I don't mean being on the roster I mean actually playing so in the NFL So you're talking about a group there, that trio, that very young trio. I got to tell you, I got to think that, you know, one or two of those guys could be a factor, but we don't know yet. And so you got to see it. Deion King, we know, had that well-documented training camp last year. He was a fabulous player, one of the best players on the field some days. But look, he's coming off an ACL, and that that is a sort of milepost in a player's career. Before the ACL and after the ACL, are you the same guy? Look, we have much, we have many, many examples in history to show us that the answer is not always yes, okay? So I do think we need to take it slow with Deion Kane. You know the Colts will. They don't rush anybody back uh, with this particular regime. They have gone out of their way and been over backwards to give guys as much time as possible. So Deion Kane, probably not a factor day one of training camp. And he, they're going to ease him in, much like they did with Malik Hooker last year. So we'll see how that goes. But I do think he's far enough along that Deion Kane will be a factor for them at some point in the fall. So, look, they didn't really feel that terrible about their receivers going into this. But I will tell you, now after the addition of Paris Campbell, I think this group looks really good. And you still have you know, the likes of Zach Pascal and, and Chester Rogers. Look, neither one of those guys are are going to set the world on fire from a fantasy football standpoint. But they've played a lot of football. Look, Chester Rogers, I think, I will give Chester Rogers a lot of credit. He had an absolute train wreck of a first half of the season, in my opinion. And the one thing that I, I have to say about Chester Rogers is he pulled it together. He finished strong. And to be honest, I, I think by the end of the season – they don't win a lot of games without him. So he was a huge contributor down the stretch. And I think that is something to be commended. So look, but that being said, he's going to have to, he's going to have to come in and battle. All right. The slot position, which was kind of his last year 
Uh, Paris Campbell is all over that right now, and he's right on his heels and you know, very likely could take that job. So I'm not saying Chester Rogers gets cut. I'm just saying that's where we're at, where guys who were who were central, okay, to this position, to this unit last year, they now are are kind of fighting for opportunities. And that tells you that they've got a lot of competition there. That's what you want. You want guys to have to scratch and claw to make the roster or to, to earn a job. You know, this the other takeaway I think from the the depth chart was for me. Listen, the last few years with this team, they would draft players, and you would immediately say on draft day, "Okay, that guy is a starter." I looked at this roster and this depth chart, and I look at these draft picks, and I don't see a starter that I I don't see a presumptive starter. Okay, let's put it that way. There will be some guys who probably crack the starting lineup, but as we sit here today, are you confident that any of these guys? Are starters right now? I don't know about that. I don't know. I know Paris Campbell. I got some pushback on this with Paris Campbell, and some people thought he he should be listed as a starter, but not in the base offense with two receivers and two tight ends. Uh, your two receivers could well be T.Y. Hilton and Devin Funches. Now, obviously, they'll play lots of three receiver sets, so whoever's the slot is going to get a lot of time. But that's not my point. My my point is. Do you see a starter, a bona fide starter, right now, out of any of these 10 rookies? My answer is possibly no. And certainly there's going to be some exceptions, like I said, but Rakia Sin right now, I mean, look, at best he's a third corner. He's not getting, he's not going to overtake Kenny Moore or Pierre Desir right now, not in my opinion. So I think those guys are coming off really strong seasons, and there's no reason to make that move. Now let him go compete. Let him go take somebody's job. Go for it, big guy, but he's not going to be handed anything. Uh, so I don't think this team is in the same place it's been. You know, Last year we saw Darius Leonard come in, and it, before he'd even taken a snap, okay, look, Darius Leonard went on to be a fabulous player, but the Colts didn't necessarily know he was going to be that good. And yet on the first day of training camp, there he was. <laughs> hey, it's your job. Go get it. And that to me I think speaks to where this roster was a year ago versus where it's at now. So that's definitely a big takeaway for me. The other thing I'd take away is the defensive line. It was very interesting to look at that. Uh, One thing I would say is they are very small. And you look at that unit, you look at them uh, releasing, or excuse me, trading Hassan Ridgeway the other day, which, you know, kind of happened, was kind of an under under the radar move that happened late in the draft. Some people missed, but they, they moved him. So what they're left with really is uh, just a, a bunch of undersized fast guys with one exception maybe being uh, Grover Stewart, but they don't really have any any bulk. Uh, they, they have only a handful of 300-pounders, to be honest with you. So what's that tell you? I mean, is that something you should be concerned about? Because I, I heard some of those concerns from people, and my answer to them is, hell no. I wouldn't be concerned at all. This is by design. This is exactly what they want. They are they're doubling down on speed and athleticism on that defensive line. And, you know, could it cost them something in terms of toughness? I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it did last year. I thought they were pretty good against the run. And I think they were extremely effective. Lots of tackles for loss. So they were in the backfield and penetrating. So I don't think this is going to cost them. I think this is purely by design. This is exactly what they want to do. 
and they're actually going to be I think they're in position to succeed. Let's put it that way. They've got to do it still. But I think they're in position to succeed in spite of this. They don't see this as a detriment. They think it's an attribute because it's exactly what they want. So uh, I'm not really bothered by the makeup of the defensive line. And then the other takeaway for the or from the uh, roster breakdown I did was, wow, they are fast. They've got a lot of speed on this roster. And I thought Chris Ballard, I think, was very clear about that on Saturday. He, he came in for his press conference after the draft and, and looked at myself and the rest of the media assembled there. And he says, well, I think you guys can see what our plan was. We wanted to get faster and more athletic. And I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> so I think if that was their plan, well, then damn it, mission accomplished. They did a good job of that. Uh, they are a... Definitely a, a faster and more athletic football team today on the heels of this NFL draft. And what I'd say is it's it's not enough to just be fast. Okay, you've got to have fast and athletic players who are smart players. And that was also something I think they doubled down on as well. You know, one thing they kept saying over and over and over again was intelligence, intelligence, intelligence. You saw team captains and guys of that sort of ilk now you don't earn that job if you don't know the playbook okay let me tell you now for, forget about the character part they certainly were looking for character and that's why you that's why you're drawn to team captains i think they have about three or four team captains from their 10 picks but the other thing you're drawn to with captains is these are guys that that truly put in the work and they have a command of the scheme the offense defense and i think they're going to be able to to translate those those skills will translate to the NFL because work is work right no matter what the level is so I think that was very purposeful uh, of, by the Colts to to target guys like that so you really should feel good coming out of this draft I, I tell you and as I transition to my next topic I think you'll feel even better because here is something I learned over the last few days you know I had an observation and I started asking people about it because that's what you do as a reporter. You see things and you don't know what they mean sometimes, right? It's like, okay, huh, why do they do this? Or why do they do that? Sometimes the answer is nothing. <laughs> it's just a coincidence, right? And then sometimes you stumble onto a gem. And that's kind of what happened here. So one of the things that I, I kind of took away from from the past couple of drafts was these two trades the Colts have made, both last year from number three to number six, and this year from, what, 26 to 46, the two trade downs of the past two years, I get why they did them in and of themselves. They made a lot of sense, and I think they ended up getting what they wanted, so I don't have any issue with it at all. But what I learned was, it's very interesting. Did you notice that both of those trades involved picks or acquiring picks in the following year's draft? Okay, the Colts in 2018, part of that trade with the Jets was uh, part of the compensation was the Colts got the Jets 2019 second rounder. That turned into pick number 34. That is Rock Yassin, who could be a starting cornerback here before long. That worked out okay. Then you've got this year from 26 to 46, the Colts trade with Washington and they get Washington's 2020 second round pick who knows what that'll be 
But unless the Redskins get to the playoffs, that's going to be a fairly high draft pick next year. And I don't see the Redskins uh, hoisting the Lombardi trophy anytime soon. So I think that's going to be a pick that works out pretty well for Indianapolis. So, okay, here's the thing, though. This is very intentional. They are looking to stockpile future picks. They don't want just picks for right now. It's great to say, hey, I want pick number XXX, right, for this particular trade. That's great. But for the Colts, they specifically were looking to add picks in future years in these particular drafts. Why? It's very intentional. The idea is basically to stockpile those picks as a backstop, basically, to potential free agent losses. Now, one of the things that's happening here before long is you're going to see a long line outside of Chris Ballard's office for players who want contract extensions. They deserve them, so it's not as if I have a problem with it. But what I am saying is, and I think what the Colts are are sort of uh, preparing for is, Sometimes it's tough to get them all done at the same time, and it's, t- it's tough to make everybody happy at the same time, really. And they have plenty of money. This isn't necessarily about money, but, you know, look, it's a business, right? And so, you know, can they can they find a way to, to come to terms with everybody? I mean, I don't know. I mean, what is Eric Ebron going to want next year? Hell if I know, right? I mean, you've got, you've got lots of guys who are core players who are going to want a lot of money because they've earned it. Look, the Colts didn't get to the playoffs last year because they have average players. They got some good players. So these guys are going to be sitting there with their hand out and the Colts are going to maybe potentially have to make some choices. Now, it's easier to make those choices if you know you've got a backstop with a, a huge slate of draft picks. If you if you now are, if you then are facing a ton of contract extensions, but yet you've got a minimal number of draft picks, that reduces your options. So the Colts are thinking, all right, you know what? We don't know if we'll be able to keep everybody. So the one way you keep the train moving is you stockpile picks. So everything you see they're doing really is geared toward the future. It, they're trying to win now, but, uh, but this is really an effort to try to win now while also thinking about tomorrow. And the one thing I'd say, or before I go on, actually, one thing to add here is compensatory picks, comp picks, are a part of this philosophy. Comp picks come a year down the line, right? When you lose a free agent in a given year, they don't turn around and give you a comp pick right then and there. That comp pick doesn't get awarded till a year later. But the Colts are willing to wait because that's a part of this strategy. So they probably aren't in the running for comp picks for 2020, but they feel like they are for 2021. Uh, certainly, Jacoby Brissett should land them a, a pretty nice uh, compensatory pick. They got a number four pick for uh, for Dante Moncrief this year. So you got to think that Jacoby Brissett should bring them at least that, if not more, depending on what he gets paid. So and and whether he starts, obviously. But but certainly they have. They have the potential to land a very sweet draft pick from the Jacoby Brissett situation two years down the line. It sounds like, oh my God, two years away? That's crazy. Trade them now. I hear that all the time. Well, that's the thing though. The Colts are thinking ahead. Now, what I was going to say before I backtracked was, here's the thing about this. 
you can't think like this and you can't operate like this if you're someone who's not confident in yourself. If you've got a front office that's not confident in their ability to survive, they're not thinking about next year. They're thinking about, oh my God, we got to win now because we're all going to get fired. <laughs> and let me tell you something. That happens way more than you think in the NFL. Okay? This is, it becomes a lot of times a situation or a, a league where people just are protecting their asses all the time. Okay? And so when that happens, when that takes precedent, you can't think about the future. And I think that is where you, sometimes you run into problems. I had a cult source tell me, I thought it was very poetic. He says, short-term thinking gets you short-term success. Well, they ain't, they ain't interested in short-term success. They're thinking, we want to keep this going. We got a quarterback who can win for 10 more years, maybe. So the idea is you got to keep that train moving. And that's what the philosophy is. So, so when you see them make these trades, keep an eye on when the compensation is. And, and if it's in a future year, it's a very good chance that was intentional. Because that's what they're looking to do. They're looking to keep this thing going in the long term. And the way you do that is to protect yourself in the future. It's not about, it's not all about today. They got a chance to win today too, but they want more. So I give them a lot of credit for that. And I, I just don't have a lot of criticisms coming off of this draft. I mean, if I did, I'd tell you, I, I don't have a whole lot. This was, I think, or has the potential, let's put it that way, because what the hell do we know about these guys? <laughs> okay, they've been on the team for four days, but this has the potential, I think, to be a very, very successful draft. And I got to give them the benefit of the doubt because they've done nothing but but be, but be very productive in their drafts so far. So uh, why would that change now? So lots to feel good about. And, and look, we're just, uh, it's only April, so there's a long way to go and a lot more to talk about as the offseason gets going. OTA starts soon, so we'll have a front row seat to actually see some of these guys perform uh, within the next several weeks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, definitely going to, I think, I see some podcasts in my future uh, to be able to detail some of that stuff. So anyway, not to get too far ahead, but I wanted to kind of give you a sense of, of what's upcoming in the off season and certainly mini camp in June, which is also very interesting. So thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing with me through uh, all my rambling today, but there was lots to cover and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Uh, shoot me a note on Twitter. If you have questions, I'm at Holder Steven with a PH. That's my handle. Uh, you can find me on the athletic. Uh, it's we've got, well, I guess the, the NFL draft promo expired, but I'll find you a, a, a promo if you hit me up on Twitter. I'll find you a promo that should give you a good discount. Uh, there's always good content on there. We've got depth charts from all 32 teams right now. We've got uh, draft breakdowns from across the league and just really good stuff. I've got some stuff in the hopper that I can't talk about yet, but I think you're going to love it. So I'll tell you about that later. So thanks for listening again. I uh, appreciate you all. And... Uh, this has been fun. I appreciate it. Again, uh, thanks for listening. This is Horseshoes with Holder, and I'll be back soon with another episode.